Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. everyone um, for being here this morning and inviting me here. I kind of feel like we just basically sang our sermon this morning. So when Dan said this is the main event, I was, I don't want to contradict you, Dan, but I think, I think the main event has happened and is happening and uh, it's just all part of a whole, isn't it, our service this morning. So, um, so it's great to be here with you. And um, so just a little test before we begin. We've been doing this series about the year of hope and we've been looking at a character in the Old Testament called Joseph. Can anyone tell me what we've heard about his story so far? Where have we got up to? Any highlights, lowlights? Shout them out. What do we remember? He had a dream. What kind of dream did he have? Does anyone remember? He had his brothers bowing down to him, shared that with them. Didn't go down too well, did it? What else happened in Joseph's life? He was thrown in a pit sold to the Egyptians as a slave. That's correct. And what happened last week? Can anyone remember what Loz said last week? I'm sure you can, because it was a great message. I feel like maybe you're just being shy. It's not just that you didn't remember. That's exactly right. Potiphar's wife tried to stitch him up. He was a young and handsome man. He was in the service of the chief of the palace guard, a fellow called Potiphar. And Potiphar had given him loads of authority to look after, his ha- look after his household. And the only thing that was withheld from him was Potiphar's wife. And she decided she quite liked the look of him, didn't she? So she tried to get him into bed. She tried all of her temptation. She tried all of her persuasion. She just tried nagging him. And they said, no, no, no. And in the end, she set him up. And uh, he ended up back in prison arguably in a worse place than he'd been before because he'd had this sense of, of authority in Potiphar's house. He was getting trained up. And, uh, and some of the injustices that he'd uh, experienced along his life had started to seem to be making sense, seemed to be coming good. And then all of a sudden, here he is back in prison, back in the worst place that he could be in. So we're going to read Genesis chapter 40. So has anyone got anything that resembles this? Anyone got a Bible? Wave it at me if you've got one. Yeah, some phones will do. That's good. Okay, Genesis chapter 40. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's pretty long, but um, it's not the longest chapter. But I just thought it'd be good to start with the text and then we can talk about it a little bit. So it's called The Cupbearer and the Baker. Incidentally, has anyone, has anyone seen Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? Show of hands. How many people are frequently singing those songs when they're reading these things in the Bible? Yeah, me too. So anyway, this is the story of the cupbearer and the baker. And it's up on the screen behind me if you haven't got a, a text in front of you. And let's read this. To, let's read this. So it says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. That was actually Potiphar's house. Um, The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. 
When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He, la he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. It's quite a crazy story, isn't it? Two dreams, two interpretations, two very different outcomes. And for Joseph, there's been a revelation whilst he's been in prison because Joseph was a dreamer, wasn't he? But instead of seeking interpretation for his dreams, he just told them to his brothers in a moment of not being that wise and it ended him up in a lot of trouble. But now he's learned a lesson in prison. He's learned that the interpretation of dreams comes from God. And God is with Joseph in prison. As you can see, um, he's back in the prison in Potiphar's house. He's been given authority again to look after others. And in that authority and in that role, he has this opportunity that seems to come to him, which seems to be exactly for him, the right person in the right time. And he's able to interpret these dreams. And um, I don't know about you, but it's quite interesting, these two people um, who are with Joseph in prison. One is a cupbearer, so he deals in wine. One is a baker, he deals in bread. And um, I feel like with the story of Joseph, there's lots of symbolisms which point us forward to the story of Jesus, to the story of the cross. It's three days that it talks about before the, the, these dreams come true. He's with two prisoners. Jesus is with two prisoners on the cross. There's all sorts of really interesting parallels between these two stories, which I haven't done enough research into or can unpack particularly well for you this morning. But I just want to point to that and say it's kind of interesting. There's some, there's some really... Um, very obvious clues pointing forward to Jesus from Joseph and it is something for us to study in our own time when we get time with our Bibles and when we get time with with them um, with books and, and commentaries and all that rest of it I'd really encourage it for you 
So Joseph is in prison. He interprets these two dreams. And then he says to the cupbearer, when you get out, because he knows that it's going to go well, remember me to Pharaoh because I don't deserve to be here. And in doing that, Joseph just shows us a little bit of his human vulnerability, doesn't he? He's taken the opportunity and now he says, I'm stuck here. Get me out. He puts his trust in this cupbearer. And what does the cupbearer do? totally forgets him. Chapter 41 starts with the verses two years later. It's another two years before Pharaoh has a dream and Joseph is suddenly remembered and called in to interpret him. See, I think what Joseph experienced is something that we can refer to as a double dip. Does anyone know what I mean? Things are bad. There's a slight chance that things might get better. Things go bad again. And it's almost like that little chance of that little bit of optimism, that little sliver of hope, that little putting his trust in the cupbearer makes things even worse. Because actually, he thought he was out of it. He thought he could see his way out. He thought his opportunity was now. He'd interpreted the dreams. God was with him. It was all going really well. And boom, back to square one. And that's a terrible and crushing place to be in, isn't it? I'm sure many of us will have had experiences of double dip situations. For us, um, a couple of years ago, uh, Steve's mum had a stroke, and that was really a dreadful thing in our lives. She was young, she was well, she was working, uh, she wasn't, she was, I think she was only just 60, we were meant to be doing lots of celebrating, and, um, and it, that was a really bad time in our lives, because we, um, we'd never really come to terms with the fallibility of our parents before. We kind of had them lined up for long grandparenting duties, and long parenting duties, and general wisdom input into our lives for a long time. And, um, and, and But she seemed to be getting better. So it was a terrible thing, and yet there was some glimmers of hope. And the last time I had a really good conversation with her, she said to me, oh, the, the doctor has um, he's given me the clearance to go on holiday. So we were going on holiday together. And he's also told me to begin a phased return to work in September. So she worked in a school, and this was in the July. And so those two words from the doctor gave us a lot of hope because we thought, okay, she won't be exactly the same again um, because of the stroke, but we've got some hope and things are going to get better. Two days later, she had another stroke. She ended up in hospital. It turned out she had cancer. It was all very complicated. It didn't end the way that we hoped and prayed, but she's now with Jesus and we know that she's free from all of the pain and suffering that she suffered during those few months. And for us, that was a circumstance and a lesson that we learned an awful lot through. Similarly, a double dip situation in our lives. So um, I've told this story before, I'm sure lots of you know, we've never had a particularly easy time trying to have kids and it took us a really long time to have Gideon and then after having Gideon we were like, right, we're going to have another baby, we'll not mess around, we'll get onto it straight away. A couple of months went by and, um, and I was pregnant again and um, but it was a double dip. The hope was crushed because it turned out to be ectopic. Not only did I not have a baby, it was in the wrong place. I had to have medical intervention. We couldn't try again for a really long time. That was a terrible situation in our lives. It was painful. It's actually put us backwards rather than, it wasn't even like we plateaued. It was like we went, we went further away from where we wanted to be. These are common things in life, aren't they? People die, we experience pain and sickness. It's not an unusual thing, this double-dip situation. I don't know if any of you know what Last Monday is uh, informally called in our nation. Anyone, can anyone tell me? Blue Monday. So January, the most depressing month of the year. Blue Monday, the most depressing day of the most depressing month. And uh, you think, where are you going with this, Sarah? This sounds like a very depressing and upsetting story, but... 
But in, it, it, truthfully, more people die in January, um, whether they're ill or not, and more people take their lives in January. Why is that? We need to ask ourselves. Because we get through Christmas, don't we? It's a painful time. It's a difficult time. If, if life isn't great, Christmas just kind of highlights how not great our life is, doesn't it? We get into the new year. There's all this hope for the new year. What's your resolution going to be? What's your hope going to be? What's this new year going to bring? New year, new hope. We kind of buy into that, don't we? That kind of that narrative. Three weeks into the new year, what is the new hope? What is it bringing? Is anything really any different? And for many of us in many situations, the answer is no. And for a lot of people, that just compounds the feeling of hopelessness. It compounds the feelings of misery. And they end up deciding to make some terrible decisions and some awful and sad decisions because their faith and their hope is in the new year and is in circumstances changing and is just thinking that it might get better somehow because we've changed our calendars over a page. But that's not where the source of our hope is, is it? It's not changing a page on the calendar. It's not pushing a button on our phones. It's not just something external becoming different just because time is moving on. The Bible tells us to put our hope in God. And the psalmist says in verse 42, in Psalm 42, verse 5, it explains the predicament that some of us can feel, and Joseph was probably feeling. It says, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Choosing to praise God, choosing to put our hope in him, Choosing to look at our circumstances and then rise above it and say, but God, in the midst of all this, has my best interests at heart, has a promise for me. That's how we choose hope. And then a few of you might have seen, I shared a little video this week on the Ivy Sharston Facebook page. So I'm a really big fan of something called The Bible Project. And it's um, a couple of guys from the States, very clever guys and creative just great and they basically they um, unpack every book of the Bible and all sorts of terms and and they just give us a a good deep insight into some um, some key biblical things and they did a little video on hope and I was like so a year of hope it's a really good idea what does the word hope mean when we're looking in the Bible and in the Old Testament there are two different definitions of hope and if you've seen this I'm going to try and summarize it as accurately as I can I'm not going to use the Hebrew words. Um, But there are two different meanings of hope in the Old Testament. And one is to wait for, to wait patiently. And the other word is about, it's like the word that you use when you're pulling a cord tight and you're bringing about tension and expectation. And I think when we're thinking about hope, we can use other words as well to describe it, to help us understand it, like anticipation, like tension, like waiting, like desire, all these words, as you start to think about them, they all kind of have inside them this attention because they show that we're somewhere, but we want to be somewhere else. Where we are isn't where we should be. Where we find ourselves right now is not what we'd hoped would be our ultimate destination. And actually, the interesting thing about hope in the Bible is that it's not found in the change of situation. It's not found in, you know, the Old Testament. They did all these rituals. It's not found in rituals. It's not found in cleanliness. It's not found in kings. It's not found in prophets. The hope of the Old Testament, the hope of the Bible, the hope of the New Testament is actually found in a person. It's found in the person of God. That's why it says, put your hope in God and not in our circumstances. We sang um, that song a little bit uh, just before about your triumph, and I was, I was thinking about triumph last night, and 
And a lot of us have a definition in our minds of what triumph looks like in our lives, don't we? Triumph for me will be when this thing changes, or that thing happens, or I've got this, or I'm there, or I'm here, or this person gets that. Per- you know, we can, we can quite often define triumph in our lives. But I just felt to say this morning, he is our triumph. Our triumph is not in circumstances. Our triumph is not in whether we get the job or we don't get the job or that we get the, you know, the marriage what works out or it fails. That's not to do with those are external things. God is our triumph because our hope is in a person. The New Testament word for hope um, is about, a, it talks about a living hope because our hope is alive in the person of Jesus. The Old Testament, they were waiting for him to come. We live in the reality of the fact that he has come, he has died, and he has risen again, and he will come. And so we live in this between times. And so this is why we feel tension with hope, because we've experienced something of God in our lives. We know what it is that the world should be like. We know the promises that God has made. We know what he tells us about how it's going to be. We know that there's going to be a time of no more pain. There's going to be a time of no more mourning. We know that he's a healing God, and he can and he does heal today. We know that he's a God of breakthrough, and he can and he does break through today. And yet we don't always see it. And so we live in tension and it's a choice to live in that tension and it's hard to live in that tension and to maintain hope when circumstances are distra- you know, distract us or when they're not what we want, when people aren't what we want, when people leave us rotting in a jail for two more years that we didn't deserve. So if we choose to have this hope in a person, how do we put it into action? For Joseph... He didn't just wail and moan and cry and be in a, you know, he didn't just sit and rot in prison, did he? Actually, his time in prison was an incredible learning experience. What we can also read in this story is that he served whilst he was in prison and he had compassion for other people. It's so easy, isn't it, when life's not going the way we want it to go, to become very inward looking, to think it's all about me and my pain. And please don't hear me uh, being... um, Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm trying not to condemn here. That's not my heart. What I'm trying to say is it's not all about us, but we can feel like that. And in the Bible, actually, there is some amazing literature in the Psalms, in particular the Psalms of Lament, and they give us amazing words to voice the pain, to voice the difficulty, to accurately state what the bad stuff in our life is, but they're not our final destination point. They are just a place on the journey. And we aren't to stay in the pain, and we aren't to stay in the self-pity, and we aren't to stay in those difficult times. They're a place to move through. And actually, they're an incredible learning ground. And I know we don't want to hear that because we don't want to learn those sorts of lessons that the hard things in life tell us. And I can tell you, every time I was disappointed, every time we had pain in our lives in certain seasons, every time I said, God, take it away, make it stop. I don't like this. I've had enough. Jesus in the garden, what did he pray to God? He said, God, if it is your will, take this cup of suffering from me, but not your wi- my will, but yours. He in his humanity actually managed to state something which each and every one of us can, can know so well, that feeling of, oh God, why now? Why me? Why this? I don't want it. I don't need it. 
And that's because we think we know what we need, isn't it, in our lives. We think we know what God's going to teach us and how he's going to do it and where we're going to get because we're always wrestling for control. We're always wrestling to be in charge. We're always wrestling and trying to get from A to B in exactly the way that we think we should. And we struggle to submit to God. We struggle to, take, to put our hope in him and not in ourselves. You know, Joseph, he put his hope in people, didn't he? He was disappointed. He put his hope in the skill that he had as a dreamer and an interpreter of dreams and someone who was able to hear God. God gave them those skills, but those skills ultimately didn't help him out of that place, at least in that time. We can put our hope in our circumstances. We can put our hope in pure optimism. But all of those things are about us taking control of our own lives. So Joseph, while he was hoping, while he was waiting, while he was in prison, he learned. God had given him a dream about being a leader. God had given him a vision of how things were going to be. And he held on to the truth of that vision. He held on to the truth of that. And um, and the prison I mentioned before that he was in was in the house of the palace guard. So the palace guard was Potiphar. This was the guy that he was serving in the first place. The palace prison was where the political prisoners went to, um, to serve out their time when they'd fallen out of favor or they'd done something wrong. Amongst those people, Joseph learnt the trade of politics. He learnt the tools. He learnt the language. He learnt how things were. He learnt the most valuable lessons, arguably, for his future career in that prison because he was in the right place with the right people, even though it felt awful and it felt really difficult. We can spend a lot of time asking God why we're in the places that we're in. We can spend a lot of time telling him to take it away. We can spend a lot of time praying for things to change and getting frustrated when they don't change. But do we spend our time sometimes asking God, what is he doing? What is he trying to teach us? What lesson do we need to learn? And sometimes this double dip thing is because we need to learn the lesson again and again and again because we forget it so quickly, don't we? Sometimes we think, right, that's it. Lesson learned. On we go. And we power on to the next thing. And God says, whoa, whoa, hang on. Let's be sure that we really know what we're doing here. And I feel like in my own life, I've definitely seen times when I've been frustrated with God and I've been annoyed at my circumstances. And I felt like, how is this ever going to change? What are you teaching me here? Because this is not a learning ground. This is just a painful and annoying and frustrating and out of step with my dreams and what you've said time. And, um, and God, in his grace, has just gone, okay, thanks for that. And... Um, and it's kept me in step with him and has done some amazing stuff. Um, I don't know, has anyone seen some trailers for a film called Free Solo? Um, it's about a fella, he's a climber. Steve's a big climbing um, film fan. When I married Steve, I learned about climbing a little bit. We watched some films. They're horrible films. Very often people die on mountains attempting to get to the top. And um, I don't understand it. It has... I, I don't want to do that. Um, but anyway, there's this fella called, I don't know what he's called, I can't remember, but he, we were listening to him last night and I watched the trailer for the film. And what he does is he wants to climb uh, a mountain called El Capitan and it's basically a sheer granite face. And instead of climbing it with ropes and people and support, what he decides to do is climb it without any of those things. And, um, and so what he does is... It takes two years out of the world, basically. Switches off his phone, switches off his mobile. He takes time out, 
And uh, he, he, he distances himself from everybody and everything, and he trains really hard, and he gets himself into a mental state where he's able to actually overcome the fear that climbing up a sheer granite face, face with just your hands and feet would actually bring in you. And um, I won't spoil the ending, but it wasn't a bad ending. Um, but I, would, it's, I think it's in the cinemas. You can probably watch it. I tried to find it on Netflix, but it's not there yet. Um, but what I'm trying to say is, and what that guy did, was he took the time out and he put himself in a place away from other people, a dark place, a place where he was relationally strained, a place where he was on his own a lot of the time. And in that time was the most valuable preparation for the thing that he was then going to go on to achieve. Jesus himself, he took 40 days out in the wilderness to fast before he launched into full-on ministry. For us, what is our wilderness patch? What is our dark time? Because if God's going to do something through us, he's going to need to do something in us first. And he needs to get away with us where it's quiet and where we're going to focus on him and not on our circumstances. And actually, what Double Dip does is it, it strips us, doesn't it, of reliance on people, of reliance on ourselves, of reliance on our circumstances, of reliance on our skills, because we start to see that those things don't work. We start to see that those things don't actually help us out. We start to see that with all our best efforts and all our control and all the things we do, it doesn't make a difference. And that means we can put our trust in God. I don't know if you remember, there was a guy called Terry Waite. And um, in the late 1980s, early 1990s, he was taken prisoner in a country called Lebanon. He'd gone to Lebanon uh, as part of a, an envoy. A, an envoy from the Archbishop of Canterbury to try and release some other hostages. And in doing so, he was taken hostage himself. And um, for five years, he was kept in solitary confinement. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was treated brutally. Um, but as a young boy, he'd been a chorister, in a, so a choir boy, in a, a Church of England church. And he knew off by heart so many psalms, so many songs. He knew the... Um, you know, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer stuff. He knew so much truth in his mind that actually when he was alone, that was where he went. That was what he remembered. And I just found some amazing quotes from him that I just want to read. So he was able to assess his reality in prison in the light of his hope in God. And he said this about his captors. He said, you have the power to break my body and you have tried. You have the power to bend my mind and you have tried but my soul is not yours to possess. Very few of us will ever be in a situation, I hope that we ever have to say that, that someone has the power to break our body and bend our mind, but not possess our soul. But the truth remains for each of us, is that only God possesses our soul. Only he has the power of that. And when Terry and his wife were asked to reflect on the situation of him being in um, captivity for five years, he says, we came through it. And I think, in fact, it has done us good. It sounds absolutely silly to say that. Perhaps a better way to put it is that we've refused to allow it to do us harm. I think this is the business of taking events as far as you can in your own hands. I said a moment ago that suffering is always difficult, and it is. I'm the last one to underplay it, and the last one to treat it lightly. But it needn't destroy very often it can be turned around so that you can make something creative of it. If you look back into history, you will find that many great acts of creativity come out of suffering. And of course, the central symbol of the Christian faith is a, is a symbol of suffering, the cross. But beyond that lies the symbol of hope, the resurrection. 
When you're at the extremities, it is quite simple. Don't expect God to get you out of a hole in the way you expect. But if you have faith, you will not be destroyed. And you will find that you can live in hope, not just for this life, but for the dimensions that lie way beyond this life. And I thought that that carries authenticity, doesn't it? That's from a man who's lived five years away from his family in solitary confinement, who's suffered and endured. And he says, it was good for me. That's an, that is a massive statement to make, isn't it? And actually, he points us to the very core of our hope because our faith began in a symbol of suffering and the horrendous nature of what happened on the cross. But beyond the cross is the symbol of hope, the symbol of the resurrection. And so... If we trust God in our pain, if we put our hope in him, then actually he can do an awful lot with that. He can do an awful lot in us. We don't need to necessarily pray for our circumstances to change. We need to change our prayer and ask God to change us. And um, I I heard Pete Gregg speaking at the launch conference back in uh, November. And he said uh, he spends a lot of time with leaders of churches And um, he spends a lot of time with a a friend who does coaching with leaders. And basically, this guy says to them, uh, this is the truth about your organization. You are in control of approximately 10% of your organization. And you are out of control of approximately 90% of your organization, which is not something that I'm sure you can imagine any leader would like to hear. Because any leader would like to think, I am 100% in control of everything that happens on my watch. Um, But the reality is that isn't the truth, is it? We can control what we can control. And we can't control what we can't. And that sounds very simple and and obvious, but it doesn't always lodge in our minds, does it? But there are some things we can control in our lives. There are some things that we have choices over. And as I said before, we have a choice with what to do with our hope. We have a choice over how we live our lives and how that affects our health and our well-being to a degree. We have a choice over our relationships and our attitudes in our relationships And we have a choice over our finances and what we do with them as well. So next week, Anthony's going to be speaking to all of us about our first fruits offering. And um, he's going to give us some more information about what we're going to do with that offering and how we're going to use it across in Cheadle Hume to to do some redevelopment of the golf, uh, golf, of the lacrosse and the cricket. We haven't bought a golf club. Cricket and lacrosse club um, that we've taken out a a long lease on. And that's going to be a fantastic way that we can support the kingdom of God growing. But we need to remember when it comes to our finances, and particularly with first fruits, you know, we've got a vision for what we're going to do with the money as a church, but God's not waiting for your money to pay for his mission. This isn't actually, it's not actually to do with what we're going to do with the money at the end of the day. What it's to do with is how much do you trust God for your finances and how much are you willing to put that trust and that hope into action? See, God's not waiting for you to put your, he's not waiting to put his hope in you. He's waiting for you to put your hope in him. He cares about you. He's the source of our hope. He's the substance of our hope. Our hope is a person. A few months ago at the launch conference again, I prayed. What I didn't realize at the time was a foolish and frightening prayer um, at the end of it. So Anthony uh, was leading the session and he got all of us to stand up. And he said to us, um, you know, you have a choice going forwards from this place you can just go and do things the way you always did or you can choose to do something different but that choice is about submission to God are you willing to pray to him God whatever you want me to do I'll do wherever you want me to go I'll go 
And I was like, yeah, definitely. I'm totally going to pray that. So I prayed those things. And literally the next day, everything that I had uh, been involved in work-wise and life-wise, suddenly I got a massive piece of news, which meant that um, everything was going to change. And God was asking me, you prayed that prayer. Are you, did you mean it? Because I'm serious. Are you serious? And then... Um, uh, it turned out he was serious, and I recently got a new job and a different level of responsibility to what I had before, and a, a terrifying future ahead of responsibility. But actually, I said to God, whatever you want, whatever you do, and I put my trust in him, not in my ability, um, and I have to do that regularly, incidentally, it's not a one-off thing. Um, but I wanted us this morning just to take some time to actually submit our, ourselves to God, and to say to him, I put my trust in you. Because it might be that we have been putting our trust in other things. It might be that we've been putting our trust and our hope in people and expecting them to, to help us out and to get us out of a situation and to do things for us that we think we can't do for ourselves. It might be that we've been putting our, our trust and our hope in opportunities. You know, when this happens, when that happens, when these ducks are all lined up in a row and, my, and, and this thing happens, then that will be that. It might be that we're putting our, our hope in, our, in ourselves, in our own abilities, in our own skills, whether they're God-given or not. But actually, this morning, I just want to challenge us again to put our hope in God and to come before him honestly and to say to him, God, you made me, you know me, you know my weakness and my frailty. You know this, that, that I've been in a double dip. You know that like Joseph, I haven't got anything left to get out of this situation and I need you and I choose you this morning. So perhaps, um, Han, if you and the, the bands want to come back up and um, guys, if you're able to stand, perhaps you'd like to stand with me and I'm just going to lead us in a prayer and then um, we're going to worship God and there's going to be an opportunity for you to, to be more specific if you want a specific response. I'm just going to do a general call and then um, if there's stuff in your life that you want prayer for, if there's a situation where you do need to renew your hope in God and you want to see breakthrough and you want someone to pray with you, then we'll have a prayer team over here who can do that with you. So please don't miss that opportunity. But let's just take a, a quiet moment in our hearts right now. And, um, and as we do that, just... Just close your eyes if you're able, and, uh, and let's just bring to mind the face of Jesus. Let's bring to mind the person that we hope in. And then in our hearts, let's just ask him once more to be the hope in our hearts. And if there's things you can think of that have taken the place of hope in God in your life, if you've never placed your hope in God before, just ask him now in your heart, Lord, be my hope. I choose to put my hope in you. And you might be looking at the circumstances that you're in. You might be thinking, what am I going to next? What does this week have ahead? What's happened for me so far? But actually, let's just look up for a minute. And let's look at him, the person of Jesus. And let's choose, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of the pain, in spite of everything that's been going on, even if life's going well, that can be such a distraction as well. Whatever's going on, choose to look up to him. And let's pray out loud after me. Uh, Lord, Jesus, Lord Jesus, I choose to put my hope in you this morning. I look upon your face this morning. 
Help me to know you more. Change me in my circumstances. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.